So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There are a couple of metaphors, images in this text, and you have actually already done both of them today. And you will continue to do these because you do these things every day. You got up, and as far as I can tell, the clothes in which you slept, you don't have on still. You changed your clothes. You took off whatever you slept in, and you put on other clothes appropriate for coming to church. And you may do the same thing once or twice more today. Maybe you're dressed for church, and now you have another activity in the afternoon. You may take off the clothes you have on now, and put off other clothes, and then when you go to bed, take off the clothes you'll have on then, and then put on other clothes. You're always taking off clothes and putting on clothes. And the, the goal of that is what? Is to be comfortable, but also appropriate. Appropriate. And if we have any sense of, of taste or decorum, uh, we try to dress appropriately for whatever the occasion is. And we also try to dress in accordance with the, the climate what we expect it to be doing outside. And when we're not dressed appropriately, either for the occasion or for the climate, we tend to be miserable. And all we want to do is get off this dark wool suit when it's uh, 96 degrees and put on some shorts and flip-flops and T-shirt. Or the other way around, we find ourselves in shorts and there is a cold front that comes through we didn't know about. And all we want to do is get a coat and cover up. Or we're in a social situation. And we realize that we are vastly underdressed or maybe overdressed. And we're miserable because we want to be dressed appropriately at all times. That's, that's the image that controls this, this section. But it's actually embedded in a bigger image that controls not only this chapter, 
but really is an image that goes through this whole book. And it's an image that we've sung about and read about in different texts today. And it's the simple image of walking, walking, which is a metaphor for life. And we've heard that over and over today. And we've also heard it a number of times through Ephesians. And we will hear it next week in chapter 5. This idea of of lifestyle, uh, of walking. And so here these two things come together. We, we dress appropriately in order that we might walk appropriately. And you see how that, that picks up here in verse 17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord. And, and he's, he's kind of pounding the, the desk here a bit. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord. So this is an important thing. He's saying, pay attention to what I'm saying here. This is exceedingly important. And he says that you must no longer, what? Walk. You must no longer walk. You must no longer live. You must no longer have this lifestyle as the Gentiles do. Now, the Gentiles in this this in this appearance here are not simply non-Jews because most of the people to whom he was writing were non-Jews. Uh, it's it's the the Gentiles who don't know God. It's the it's the non-Jews who are still living like like pagans who have no reference to God. And you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is within them due to the hardness of their hearts. This is a a terrible description, isn't it? Of, Of ignorance of mind and hardness of heart and futility of lifestyle. And he says, that's how some of you used to live. But you must not know, you must not live that way any longer. And notice that this picks up what Paul began to say in verse uh, one of chapter four. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so he said, I urge you to walk in accordance with the calling and the calling we heard about, we read about in chapters one to three. So this is the this is the flip side of that. I urge you to walk in accordance with this calling and you must no longer walk the way you used to walk. We've already seen this contrast in, in, this, uh, in this letter. If you look at chapter 2 in verse 1, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And then in chapter 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there is a a night and day contrast. There is this way that you used to walk. You must no longer walk that way because that's how the, the pagans walk. Those who are ignorant of God, who are hardened in their hearts. Now, the um, verse uh, 19 here says that they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That word callous, that, that's a possible translation. Another translation is despair, because of despair. And if you look around the world, you see a lot of that, just despair. And people saying, well, well whatever. Okay, I, I'm just despairing, and so I'm just going to give myself over to live however I want, according to whatever desires I might have. I just despair of ever finding truth, of ever finding meaning, of ever finding direction, of ever getting out of this morass in which I find myself. But he says here, that's not, that's not how you learned Christ. And here's the contrast, verse 20. 
But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard, our text says, heard about him. There's no about in the original text. Assuming that you have heard him and were taught in him. And this is very interesting language. He says, he says it doesn't say, that is not the way you have learned about Christ. It says, that's not the way you learned Christ. And he doesn't say, that's not the way you, you heard about Christ. That's not the way you heard Christ. And this is very direct, very personal. And then he says, you, you heard Christ. You, you, you learned Christ. And Paul was actually the one that probably preached to some of them. And he taught them Christ. And he taught them that truth is in Jesus. You want to know truth? You're going to find it in Jesus. And what is that truth? What is that that they, that they learned? What is that that they heard? What is that that they were taught? And then he, he spells it out in verses 22 to 24. And there are three actions here. And here he talks about these actions in general. And then he goes to verses 25 to 32. And then he gives us some specifics of those actions. And these actions are, and here we, we switch the metaphor. What were we doing? Up to this point, we were walking, right? And now he switches the metaphor and he says, you were taught in him to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And then verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And then the third thing, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So three actions here. And two of these actions are active, and one of these actions is passive, the verbs here. So you were taught to put off your old self, and here's the, the undressing part. And he says this old self, this is how you used to be, this is how you used to live. But you were taught to, to put off this old self. This old self no longer is appropriate. This is, this is outdated clothing, okay? These are polyester bell bottoms or something from the 70s, okay? These are, these are uh, yeah, whatever, wide ties and, and knick-knick shirts or whatever was, you know, just, just the stuff that's hideous from the 70s. This is stuff that you, you put off. It's, it's no longer appropriate. This is old manner of life type stuff. You, you take this stuff off. It no longer fits. It's no longer appropriate. And he says it's corrupting. It's, it's, it's getting worn out. It's got holes in it. So this, this is clothing that you, you want to get rid of as soon as possible. And then he says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And here the verb is passive. It doesn't say to renew, but to be renewed. And to be renewed means by somebody else. And obviously this is a, what we call a divine passive. That God's the one who renews the spirit of our minds that makes our thinking new. And here we have the contrast, right? Because the, the, the ignorance that was in them, the, the pagans, the, those who did not know God, there was ignorance, but our minds have been renewed. No longer futility in our minds, but renewed minds. And then what? And then to put on the new self. Uh, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And here Paul is, is riffing on the creation account, isn't he? He's saying to put on the new, literally the new man, the new man. What do we find in, in Genesis 1 and 2? We find the new man. And here, how was that new man created? He was created after the likeness of of God in the image of God and and that was in accordance with true righteousness and holiness so he's taking us all the way back to creation and he's saying 
things went wrong there. But God is going back and he is he is making all things new. He is making new men and new women. And this is being put on to us once we have stripped off this old man or woman. Now, um, this is this is um, interesting the way this is written here, because it's not entirely clear if this putting off and putting on is something that already happened or if it is here a command for us to do. And uh, we find, for example, in Colossians, which Paul wrote apparently the same time he wrote Ephesians or or very, very similar time. And we find there that he wrote this in Colossians chapter three, verse nine. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So there it sounds like, okay, this is a done deal. You have put off the old self. You have put on the new self. This is over. The old old self gone, the new self here. Now, um, other places, however, we find he uses similar language. Uh, for example, in, um, in Galatians, he talks about, I have been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2, 19, 20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And uh, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. And so there it sounds like done deal. Okay, old life, gone, completely gone. Don't have to deal with that anymore. Now, new life, it's here. I live by faith in the Son of God. But then we find things like in Romans 13, 12 and 14, we're commanded to put off the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light. And so what do we have here? Has it happened or is it something we're supposed to do? And of course the answer is yes. And that's this creative interplay that we find all through the New Testament. There is definitive work that has taken place once for all for those who are in Christ Jesus. And therefore... Because they have put off the old persons, they need to put on the, or to put off the old persons continually. Because we have we have put on the new person in Christ, we need to put on the new person continually. So it's this creative interplay between what has already happened, what we already are definitively once for all, and how we live day by day. Um, in other words, it's the creative interaction between Ephesians one to three. And Ephesians 4 to 6. Because Ephesians 1 to 3, go back and read it. It's all done. We're already seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Done deal. We are sitting on the throne with Jesus. It's all over. We're reigning with him. Everything's been conquered. It's taken care of. And then Ephesians 4 to 6. I urge you not to live this way, but to live that way. I urge you to, to, to put off and to, to put on. Now that's the that's the kind of the the overall image here. And then Paul gives five or six detailed instructions about how to do it. And um, so far, so good, right? We say, yes, this sounds great. Put off the old person, put on the new person. And then uh, apparently in the South, they used to say things like, well, the preacher's stopped preaching and he's gone to meddling. And, And that's when the preacher would start stepping on toes. And here Paul starts stepping on toes. Artos, and he talks about five different areas where we need very specifically to put off and to put on. And the first one is lying. And the structure here is put off, 
put on and why. Basically, five times he has something like that. And the first one is lying. Uh, he says, therefore, verse 25, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And we may flatter ourselves and say, well, I don't lie, but I, I personally don't know anybody who hasn't or doesn't lie in some way or another. Misrepresenting, shading, manipulating the truth, that, that is characteristic of, of humanity after the fall. But Paul says, that's old life stuff. That's old life stuff. We, we, need to, we need to put that off. This is a garment that stinks. We need to get rid of it. Putting off the lie. We need to do what? And notice here that it's not complete until you put on. We, the, the, the goal here is not to be naked, right? The goal is not just to take off the old stuff, but to put on its opposite in its place. So, it's, so, so, so the, the process isn't complete until we've, we've become not just non-liars, but truth speakers. And he says, speak the truth to one another. And then he gives the reason for that. He says, for we are members one of another. And here he's invoking once again the body imagery, the body of Christ imagery. And think about, think about the human body. When, when a piece of the human body gives a head fake to the other uh, pieces, it doesn't work well, right? Like if, if, if the finger touches something that's hot, but it, it fakes out the brain and says, no, this is not hot for one reason or another. There's a malfunction there. There's miscommunication, right? The body can't function well. The brain can't say, hey, finger, pull away from that now. And so when, when the body, the pieces of the body don't communicate accurately, truthfully to one another, there's, there's a lack of health in the body. And that's what he's saying here about the church. He's saying if in the body we don't, we don't speak truth to one another, then then we can't function properly. And that's the motivation. I owe you the truth because I am a member of the same body as you. You owe me the truth. We can't shade it with each other. We need to speak truthfully one to another because we are members one of another. That's the first one. And then the second one, talk about, and here he's, he's really talking about universal sort of sins. The second one is anger. And once again, I don't know anybody who is not sinfully angry sometimes. And some people are, seem to be constantly sinfully angry. But he says, once again, that's, that's old life stuff. And we need to put that off. He uses language differently here. And here he quotes from the Old Testament. And this, this first part is something of a quotation from the Old Testament. Be angry and do not sin. And, and of course, lots of interpretations about how this worked be angry is he telling us to be angry uh, but don't sin and uh, how's this work here but but we could just look at it very simply and say go ahead and be angry if you want but just make sure when you're angry don't sin try that okay yeah, yeah just just try to do that you, go ahead and be angry but don't sin in your anger and that's possible that's possible sometimes when we're angry on somebody else's behalf when we're angry about injustice. It, it's possible, but it doesn't cover most of our anger, does it? Our irritation because someone dared to cross us in some way. Someone refused to recognize our position at the center of the universe. 
and dare to dare to get in our way and, and contradict us in some way. That's oftentimes when we're piqued, when we're irritated, and we express our anger. But what's the opposite of that? If we're going to put off anger, what's the opposite? It's quick resolution of anger. Quick resolution of anger. And he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. No prolonged anger. That's old, that's old school stuff. That's old person stuff. No perpetual simmering anger. You need to deal with it every single day. If you got angry today, you need to deal with that anger before the sun goes down. This is one of the best pieces of advice for married couples, by the way. One of the best pieces of advice out there. Um, and, and Sandy and I, when we first got married, we were in that first year. That Some people have a real smooth sort of first year. Ours wasn't terrible or anything, but it was, it was, we were making adjustments, right? And, and sometimes we had to, the sun beat us sometimes. The sun beat us. But we were determined not to go to bed, not to go to sleep until it was dealt with. And sometimes it was, you know, one, two in the morning, but we could finally deal with it. And it was done. And it was gone. And it was behind us, and we could get up the next morning, and it was behind us. This is not only great advice for, for married couples, but for every kind of relationship. And um, the that's the motivation here is is interesting because it says why should we not let the sun go down on our anger and he just adds here kind of cryptically and give no opportunity to the devil you want to invite the devil into your marriage relationship then then have simmering anger you want to you want to invite the devil to work in your church then just just stew over things constantly you want to you have a, the devil, an open door into your home? Then just express yourselves regularly with anger with each other. That's, that's, the, that's the welcome mat, he's saying, for the devil. He's saying, don't, don't give the devil opportunity. This is his stock and trade. He loves this sort of thing. He loves this kind of simmering anger. So, so put that away every day. Don't leave that welcome mat out for the devil. That's the second thing. The third is stealing. And people often say, well, I don't steal. But I frankly don't know anybody who hasn't or doesn't steal. You steal people's time by being late. You steal people's reputation by speaking evil against them. You steal from the government by not declaring everything that came in. You steal from your employer by, by not putting in a, a complete day's work. You see, there are all sorts of ways to steal, not just shoplifting or banditry. And he's saying, putting away stealing. Look at verse 28. Let the thief steal no longer. But what do you put on in place? If the thief is not to steal any longer, what do you put on in its place? Labor. Honest labor. Doing honest work with his own hands. So what? And this is kind of the motivation here. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, now think of this. This is 180 degrees, isn't it? What does the thief do? The thief takes freely from someone else that which is his or hers. And he says, you need to do exactly the opposite. 
You need to work with your own hands so that you have what is yours so that you can give that freely to those who need it. So no longer freely taking from others that which is theirs, but freely giving that which is yours to others. That's the goal. It's not just to work so that you have sufficient for yourself. No, the opposite is so that you have sufficient so that you can give it away to those who have need. And this assumes something, doesn't it? This is is a motivation here. It It assumes that it is good and pleasant to give. That it is, a, it is a blessing to be able to give to others. It is, a, it is a joy to be able to give to others. And that's the motivation here. And he's saying, I want you to have that kind of a joy. Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. The next one. Here's another one. Kind of a universal one in humanity. Let no corrupting talk. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So what's corrupting talk? It's corroding talk. It's talk that that tears down other people, either to their face or when they're not present. So let no rotten talk, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Just put a a stop over it. That's, That's old life stuff. But rather, what's the opposite of that? Sometimes when I say things that I wish I hadn't said, I think, I just think, think I should be a monk and just like take a vow of silence. You know, I just, I want to stop hurting people with my mouth and just, I'm just going to not say anything anymore and then I won't hurt people with my mouth. But actually, I would be disobeying the put on part here. It says, no, instead of that corrupting speech, that damaging speech, that hurtful speech, you need to put on edifying speech, that which encourages, that which builds up others as fits the occasion that it may may give grace to those who hear. And here's the same motivation. You need to stop stealing so that you might have to give to others in need. And now you need to stop using corrupting speech that you might have good speech edifying speech, encouraging speech to give to them according to their need. Now, let me ask you something, though. How do you know what they need? Hey, how about that? Yeah. So before you speak, somebody pointed to his ears. Before you speak, what do you need to do? Listen. Then you'll know what they need. And then you can craft your speech to give them what they need to build them up. And then... Paul, as he often does. Oh, by the way, there's a there's either an, a, a separate reason, uh, a second reason in there, or it may be a separate instruction. But it's fascinating. Just as he threw in and don't give the devil an opportunity, he throws in here in verse 30 and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here he's going back to chapter one, verse 12 or 13, where it says that that having believed we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. And, and he says here, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You're, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. He is, he is the down payment for that day of redemption. And so in other words, he's with you all the time. And I think the idea is he's listening. He's listening to what you're saying. And don't, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't mean to be irreverent here, but, but don't cause the Holy Spirit when he hears your speech to have to go, ah, so he doesn't hear the corrupting speech that's coming out of your mouth. Rather delighting in the speech that's coming out of your mouth in order to build others up. And the last thing, it's kind of a catch-all here. 
But once again, universal sort of things. Verse 31, let, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, clamor also means shouting, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Malice is meanness. And then instead of those things, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. There are a number of lists, uh, things, items in this list of, of meanness or malice or ill will toward others. Bitterness. Some of these things are internal, aren't they? Bitterness is internal. Wrath may be internal, external. Anger may burn inside or be expressed. Shouting or clamor, that's outside. Slander is outside, speaking ill of others. And there are a number of different ways that we can express malice or ill will or meanness toward others. He says these are old life type things. These attitudes, these actions, put them off. They're, they're, they're no longer appropriate. I, uh, decades ago, a couple came to me that needed marriage counseling, and they, this is kind of how I do it. I'm not a great counselor, but um, I just say, what, what's going on? And I just let them go. And then I see what's going on. And then they started going, and then they started going at each other. And I just watched for a little while, and I said, okay, stop. And I looked at him, I said, are you a Christian? And he said, yeah. And I said, are, are you a Christian? And she said, yeah. And I said, you are not allowed to talk to each other that way. And they said, we're not? I said, no, you can't talk to each other that way. We can't? No. Well, that's how our parents talk to each other. I said, I don't care how your parents talk to each other. You just told me you're a Christian. You are not allowed to talk to each other that way. He said, okay. That was news to them. And, and for a while, their marriage improved remarkably. But then they went back to old life stuff. And they ended up getting divorced. Yeah, I mean, just by going back to old life sort types of communication. That's what happened. But I tell you the same thing. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? You can't talk like that anymore. You can't, you can't do that with each other anymore. It doesn't belong to you. But what does? What do you put on in its place instead of this meanness? Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you Kindness includes tender-heartedness and it includes forgiveness. And now we've come full circle, haven't we? Do you remember the Gentiles, the hardness of heart? And now we get to the end and we have the, the replacement for that hardness of heart. We have kind-heartedness and gentleness and forgiveness. And here, the, the conclusion, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And here he goes back to chapters 1 to 3. And we remember that back in chapter 1, we read that one of the chief benefits we have if we are in Christ, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This is not only the why, this is also the how. 
Why should we forgive one another? Well, because God in Christ has forgiven us if we are in Christ by faith. But it's also the how. How should we forgive one another? Well, it says here we should forgive one another as, just as God in Christ forgave you. And and how did Christ, God in Christ forgive us? Well, it's, it's, it's like this. He took the cost for our sins. He, he ate our debt. He, he took our punishment. And you see, that's what we always have to do when we forgive others. We say to others, I am not going to make you pay for what you did to me. I am going to absorb that myself. And I am not going to hold it against you. How are we going to be able to do that? Well, the only way we can do that is if we have a Savior who has done that for us, who says to us, I am going to absorb all of your sins against God, and I am going to die for those, and I am not going to hold them against you ever again. You are free from all of those. And then he says, now go and do likewise. Go and do likewise with your husband, with your wife, with your son, with your daughter, with your neighbor, with your enemy. Go and do likewise. Forgive, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And this last line connects these life instructions back to chapters 1 to 3. And that's the, that's the danger in doing what we do here. We divide Ephesians into little sections, and it's easy to forget what came before. Whereas they would have sat down and read this in one sitting. Somebody would have read it publicly in one sitting and they would have heard it all together and they wouldn't have missed the connections. But don't miss the connections here because this is the, this is the explanation of how we can walk in this way and how we, can, how we can be dressed in this way. It's because of all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so, what time is it? Well, It's time to get dressed, and it's time to go for a walk. Let's pray. God, we thank you that it's that time. And it's that time because in the fullness of time, you sent forth your Son, who became one of us, gave his life for us, and you raised him from the dead. And so it's no longer time to walk as we once walked, no longer following our our passions uh, that were shameful and... and, uh, because of our ignorance and hardness of heart, Lord. It's no longer time for any of that. It's time to get redressed, and it's time to walk. And Father, I pray that you would enable each one of us, day by day, to put off falsehood and to put on truth, to put off anger and to put on quick reconciliation, to put off stealing and to put on honest labor and generosity, to put off corrupting talk and put on edifying speech, to put put off meanness and to put off tenderness and forgiveness just as you in Christ have forgiven us. Amen.